What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fury, and this is Blackballed. Well, um, I have done seven shows in the month of September, and we are at September 28th. Why is that? Well, um, one of the reasons is because uh, I have other gigs that I have to do. I got two kids. I got all that. Um. And I promise this show isn't going to be about me, but I have been talking to a lot of friends and family over the past two years. And, you know, this is an old story. And the old story being people are afraid to talk about the thing that we pay gigantic lip service to almost all the time. There was a time when we never talked about mental health at all. When I was young, you know, basically any time before 9-11, and I'm using that as a marker because of the trauma that people experienced that weren't even in New York City or even in the United States for that matter when when 9-11 happened. And since then, there's been this sort of ongoing campaign that has been encouraging people to speak about depression and about anxiety and about all these things. And I think that we are very good at sort of paying lip service to the idea that we need to talk about mental health in order to overcome our anxieties, our fears, our depression. But uh, I think we're probably failing. We have now been inside this COVID era for two and a half years. And if you're like me, you've noticed that um, many people have been withdrawn. Uh, the isolation that we were kind of forced to endure was really draining on people. It became one of these things where it was kind of unspoken. And we all kind of fell into this kind of funk, I would say. And when I say all, oh, I actually don't mean every single person. But you would be hard-pressed to find somebody who wasn't impacted in some way, shape, or form um, because of COVID. There is a massive problem that we are facing right now in our healthcare system that has to do with mental health. The headlines say it all. Mental health support for older adults must be a priority. By 2031, one in five York region residents will be 65 or older, and a lot of them are experiencing mental health problems. They were probably the most isolated out of all of us, especially people living in long-term care facilities. Um, next headline says, Canada to launch 988 Mental Health Crisis Hotline in the fall of 2023. Here's how it will work. The article talks about how you, it's it's like telehealth, except you'll be able to talk to some, uh, to a professional counselor. And I mean, hopefully that will, that will, uh, benefit the people that decide to use it. I don't think I would be one of those people that uses it, but I'm not 
shitting on it. I just think that it's it's not for everybody. Uh, most Canadian post-secondary students are grappling with mental health challenges two years after the start of COVID-19. Um, this is probably its own pandemic, I would say. Mental health is one of those things where if you experience it, and I have, um, one of the reasons why I've only had seven shows and we're now uh, almost exiting September when normally I would do anywhere between 15 and 20 shows a month is because I, I, I don't think I was mentally prepared to do uh, shows over the, over the month of September. Um, it's, it's not easy for me to say that, even though I'm kind of transparent, I don't, I don't really mind sharing embarrassing things or, you know, painful things and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it is a very reclusive way of being when you are living where I am, uh, which is the sticks. I live in a place called Killaloo, uh, population like 800 people. Um, I've, I don't really know any of them <laughs> except for my family. I know a few, but you know, but, but if I was in the city, I felt this way in the city before too. Uh, it, it would be one of those situations where, you know how, like if you're, if you live in a densely populated area, you tend to feel even lonelier sometimes. Like I remember living in Toronto. I lived in Toronto for 20 years and can be a really lonely place living in downtown Toronto surrounded by millions of people. It, 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 it is a different kind of lonely. It's, it's, it's good in instances. Like you can, you can sort of hide amongst the crowd. You can, you can feel like part of a collective that you don't ever talk to. I don't know if uh, other people who live in big cities uh, felt this way, but there was a, uh, one day I woke up and I realized that after living in Toronto for 15 years or something that I never knew my neighbors, you know, like it's, it's not that kind of city. It's not the kind of city where if you live, especially if you live downtown where, you know, the people that live next door, you might know the person that lives in the condo next to you to say hi or to nod your head. But really at the end of the day, um, you're, you're there, you're on your own. Um, in the sticks, it's much of the same. That's the funny thing. You can't really run away from the thoughts and feelings that you have inside your own head. And over the last few weeks, I have made a decision or I made a decision each day. I would weigh, you know, what I would want to say on this podcast. Um, I was canceling guests because I I got to the point where I was like, listen, I, I could, I could do filler podcasts and, and fill the airwaves with some sort of, um, you know, weak effort or, or to put it in a, in a way that is less self-deprecating to, to broadcast a show where I knew that I wasn't really into it and I didn't want to do that. And then some days I felt like I should have, I should have just done it anyways. Um, these are decisions that people uh, who, who, who have a lot of anxiety um, or are going through some shit, or in my case, I, I suffer panic attacks, um, which makes me feel uh, pretty tough because Tony Soprano also suffered from panic attacks and he fucking killed his nephew, right? So um, <laughs> there's an upside to everything. 
Um, also, you use humor to mask my pain. And these are like, this isn't an easy thing to talk about, you know? And it's not easy for anybody, I don't think. Um, I can tell that it's not easy for the guests that are supposed to come on the show because they haven't clicked the link yet. Um, and that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll burn as much time as I can before I start madly texting all of these people to, uh, to, to get on this podcast. But really, I, I, I wanted to do this show not because I wanted it to be um, a pity party. I actually use that term. I, I think I just copied and copied and pasted texts to people where I was like, you know, this isn't like a woe is me pity party type podcast. So I don't want you to think it like that. I just think that we need to talk about stuff. And um, I'm so happy that uh, that that's that many people responded and said, yeah, you know, um, either I'm going to come on or I'm going to watch because I don't think that people talk about this enough. And I am not obviously I'm not a mental health professional. I am not going to be able to give any sage advice, I don't think. But I think just talking about our experiences um, may may make people feel a little bit better about themselves. Um, I would like to welcome first, Christy. Christy. Oh, hey. oh, hey. How are you? How are you? I'm good. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay, but... I I, there's, you. Does anyone else hear an echo? Yeah, there's an echo. Can you put on headphones up and I'll get back? Uh, yes. Look how annoyed she is. Look at her. Give me one second. I'm going to bring in George. George Easton. How are you, buddy? I'm well, thank you. And you? Good. Um, George, just to give you a little bit of introduction, everybody. George is a friend of mine for 20 years. We work together. Um, we've played together. We have partied together. We've done all these things. Um, but, uh, I asked him to come on because George, you have like a, you have a pretty sad history of this stuff, but I don't know what you want to get into, but I'm, I'm happy that you joined. Um, do you think that we are in a place right now where uh, mental health is almost like a pandemic in and of itself? Hmm. That's an interesting and prompt, uh, you know, properly loaded question, I suppose, James. Um, Welcome to the show, that. George. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, definitely it is true that I, I think every one of us at some point understands at least a level of unconsciousness, right? And, um, you know, that is itself a part of mental health, right? I mean, we've all been in there where, you know, you've, you've had an argument with your partner that morning and, uh, you know, it, it, it sort of sits with you for the rest of the day and, uh, it, it, it knocks you slightly off of whatever it is that you're doing because, you know, there's a part of you that's still, you know, stuck in that moment from earlier in the day. And, you know, so I, I would argue that at least everybody sort of deals with this level of hum of mental health. And then, you know, as things that happen, you know, with us, to us, around us, we get knocked into deeper levels of unconsciousness. Um, you know, like your boss yells at you, uh, you know, the economy implodes, uh, your country goes to war, uh, mortgage-backed securities crisis happens, you know, a pandemic happens, and you just get ever knocked into deeper states of unconsciousness. And when we're in those deeper states of unconsciousness, you know, we get more egoic. And when we do that, we tend to, I think, harm ourselves and others ever more. And, you know, you're right, you, you sort of leaned into, I, I have a rough family history uh, with mental health. Many of my family members have suffered long and deep uh, for many a year. And, you know, 
a lot of that suffering kind of comes back to the same concepts related to consciousness and presence. And, you know, I, I will tell you, in my own road, I have suffered with a lot of anger as part of my mental health issues. That was sort of my valve to release, it seemed. And then, I don't know, I, I popped into Eckhart Tolle and Russell Brand on a podcast once, and I cry laughed my way through that entire thing because it was like the frying pan of the shit that hit me in the face that I always wanted and needed to hear. And it really helped me understand that when we go into the past, you know, we're, we're, we're feeling pain and we're coloring that with how we are feeling as we tell that story today. And when we go into the future, we're suffering. And so the smartest and easiest way for, for, for me anyway, to control my mental health is to find ways to constantly remain present. That's, I mean, that's yeah. the essence of his book, The Power of Now. Yeah, I read that once on a, on a train. And, um, you know, it was like the year 2001 or something. I, th I think it came out right around there, 2000, 2001 or something like that. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, I wasn't really aware of that whole staying in the now concept before I read that, that book. Uh, and it's something that I forget about almost all the time. What, what is it that uh, anxiety is worrying about the future and depression is thinking about the past? Something like that? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm not clinically uh, charged enough to, to understand such definitions, but I do understand that, you know, we so often, you know, it's, it's sort of like, oh, did, you know, did I fuck that up? Do, do, do they think this of me? And we start to project into what we believe the other person's narratives are of us. But like, oh, I do that look, James, <laughs> if you or I were any good at foretelling the future, don't you think we'd be a lot more wealthy than we are? I mean, I'm I probably saying. wouldn't. I'd find a way to fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> fair, okay, fair enough. Play the cards that you're dealt with, I suppose. Yeah. But like, to to me, um, you know, I I've realized I'm not very good at foretelling the future, and I also know that every time I go digging around in the past, the it's sort of like you know the old fish story. You know, the the it was it was this big, then it was this big, then it was this big, and this big, and you constantly are are altering the details of the past, which is never accurate based on how you feel today. So if I'm if I'm bragging or uh, about something, well, the fish is going to get bigger. If I'm angry about something, well, then the the culpability of my of my own actions is sort of deteriorating in the story that I'm telling. Uh, you know, all of those things are true. So the best thing to do is just to to get the hell away from the past and not so much worry about the future because like Eckert says, there is no pain in the present. At least none that is self-inflicted by your own mental health. Yeah, it was actually Dean Blundell that taught me something um, in the last year about um, about how we uh, sort of what you were just saying about um, we we will take something uh, like a person's reaction or a person's you know um, aside some little comment that they may have made, and then we'll create an entire universe of meaning around this one thing that they said, and let that thing that we created bother us. As if like, as if that person even wanted to spend the time even thinking about that situation for as long as you ruminated inside of it, inside of it. And it was like, and when he, when, when he told me that, and I mean, it's something I forget all the time, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, 
allowing other and even if that person is being malicious just allowing another person's maliciousness to invade your kind of not spirit but to, to invade your mood and to invade your 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 mental capacity to be able to just feel peace is something that i still have i'm miles and years away from figuring out how to how to not allow that because also what do you do when you feel like you're intuitive and I don't mean like an empath, but I mean like I'm pretty good at reading people. You know, I've had to be because, um, you know, I'm not an educated person. So I've had everything that I've ever gotten, I've had to get by hustling. And when you hustle, you, you have to know how to read people. And when you read someone and you're like, that guy thinks I'm a fucking asshole. It's really difficult for guys like me to not, you know, challenge that person, even if they didn't say anything specific, you know? Yeah, I, 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 I know that and you very well. <laughs> yeah. We fought last you know, night. Well, we didn't fight last night, but we had a little dis George and I are working on, uh, I won't get into specifics, but George and I are working on, uh, on a campaign for this guy who's running for mayor of a city in, in Ontario. And, um, and, and, you know, and, and sometimes we have to go back and forth and sometimes we quarrel. But the good thing about us is that once the, and the next time we talk, we're fine. But it's not like that with a lot of people. You know, like it's well, that's through years of practice, James. I mean, <laughs> no, in, in, in fairness, it, it, it truly is about presence. It, 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 the, the, you know, the old expression like water off a duck's back, you know, that's the idea. It, it is always better to express oneself and clear the air right away than it is to allow things to fester because festering is living in the past. You know, if, mm. if you piss me off, I'd rather just tell you right now. You know, my employees uh, know very well that I do not do veiled communications well. And that's not because I'm too stupid to get it. It's because I don't play in that fucking sandbox. If you can't come out and talk to me directly, then next, you know, and if yeah. and if I can't talk to you directly, then we are certainly not going to do business together. I feel like it is always better to nip things in the bud uh, before they become, you know, the anthill becomes the mountain. Uh it is a much more peaceful way to to exist. Although, for some, it's offensive because they're more they're more concerned about uh, decorum, you know, uh, political correctness, uh, and so on. And I think to hell with that. I would rather be known for who I am and how I am, unabated, uh, so that I don't need to present this edited version to you, this edited version to someone else. It's much easier and safer and healthier. For everybody to just be who they fucking are. That's it. Yeah. But there's sometimes that I and I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. There's sometimes a um a thing that I run into sometimes is with people that because I'm communicative. I I want to I don't like to go to bed angry, right? And and I and I'm applying that to like friends too. Like like if a friend and if if I'm in a quarrel or whatever with a friend, I don't like that to be left that way overnight. I like to settle it, but I happen to be friends with people that are not communicative. I happen to be friends with some people and, and there's colleagues on this network that I like a lot and they're not, they're non-communicative and I'm communicative. And what I find is, is that in that situation, I have to be the one to bend because if I'm not the non-communicative person is just like, they just get pissed off. 
listen, I don't fucking want to deal with this. And you're just like, but I'm a person that likes to. So then the only way to make that work in a peaceful sort of uh, uh, conclusion is if the person who communicates is like, fine, Mr. Non-communicative, we won't have to communicate. And and, and, because it never goes the other way. Otherwise, you got to force someone to be something that they're not. Well, I mean, here's the thing. You know, we all can barely control ourselves, let alone other people. Um, And the one thing that you always have within your grasp, if you're so willing to reach for it, is the power of forgiveness. Truth be told, like, this is the most powerful thing that anybody can learn. The forgiveness of self is, is huge and the most difficult part. But once you get to that place where you understand how to forgive yourself for your own trespasses, because you and I both know as hustlers, as entrepreneurs and business people, fuck, dude, we stumble over our own feet all the time. There, we, we've gone into, into moments where we walk out and go, why the fuck did I do that? I have no idea why I said that shit. It wasn't even true what I just said, or I can't believe I embellished it to this point or whatever the hell it is. And so forgiving yourself is the first way to let things go. The second is always to forgive the other person. And I, I confess to say, I don't know what the hell book my partner is, is reading, uh, uh, but she stumbled upon a passage the other day and she said, you know, this sounds a lot like you. And, uh, and I said, go on, you know, tell me all about me. Go on. <laughs> and she says, well, the whatever the guru reading the book, and I'm sorry for equating myself to a guru, which I'm not, but nonetheless, no, you're, you're not. the guru writing the book says, forgive everybody always for everything right away. And if you can learn to do that, then it doesn't fucking matter who is right or wrong. And if you want to go to bed, you know, without anger, you can do that always. You don't need to actually squash the beef with non-communicative people because it's a one-way street on forgiveness. You get to forgive yourself for your actions in that, in that kerfuffle and you get to forgive them and you're the one that gets to feel clean. Yeah. I, I I've heard that before. I've heard that whole thing about um, that, that, that I thought it was an Oprahism. The, um, uh, the whole, not really the, the, the whole thing about um, uh, resenting someone or whatever is like swallowing poison and waiting for them to die. Whatever that, that, that saying is. And I, I don't understand forgiveness um, if someone isn't actually sorry for what they did. I think we need well, a new because You're it. giving them the power. You're basically saying, I can't forgive you until you say sorry, right? So this is this is conditioning. Oh, I don't want them to say sorry. I want, the, I want them to show me that they're fucking sorry. Like, I, I hate the word sorry. Yeah, but I that's, cannot, that's And as a Canadian, ego. it's really hard to hate that word. Right, like that's an ego thing, James, and that's the whole part of of where where we are actually controlled, where we all suffer equally, is by our ego, right? Like ego had a purpose when we were when we were running around naked in the woods. Okay, that was like two weeks ago. But now that we can instant cart our fucking Walmart groceries to ourselves, we we don't need anything. My hands are very soft. I have no need to worry about surviving in the woods. And so I actually have no purposeful use of my ego, do I? Mm-hmm. All that no. it does, you know what? When life is fucking great, ego goes like, I need a problem to solve. I know what? I'm going to insult my friend's wife you know, out of nowhere. And you're like, what the fuck did you just come? Would you stop it? You know, and then you you sit there and you wonder, why did I just shit my own sandwich? Yeah. yeah. But you well, did. Let's, let's see if we can... Um... Um, shift gears here a little bit and and bring on people who are probably going to be a little bit more um, 
Hi, people. Wise than me. Anyways, maybe not you, George. You're quite the sage tonight. Um, but we have Christy O'Hare. We have Jen Waddell. Not Weddell, like I said once. Um, Christy, I'll start with you. Is this something that, like, th- this entire COVID experience, has it, has, first of all, you had long COVID, did you not? And now I can't hear you. Jen, can you say something? Sorry, oh, my, dogs we were, my dogs were barking. I muted myself. Uh, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I still have long COVID. You still have long COVID? Mm-hmm. Okay. Isn't that um, the point can... of long COVID that you have it forever or something? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I better not have it forever. <laughs> can you talk about some of the stresses that you've experienced because of that while I plug in my laptop, please? Hold on one second. <laughs> <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, it turned my actual world upside down. I went from a busy, someone who still managed to be a busybody during like stay at home, work from home stuff um, to literally not being able to do anything other than sit on the couch for months on end. I'm almost at two years now and I not being able to do anything, like literally not being able to do anything was so hard and I'm an extrovert. So it totally turns you upside down when you can't do what you not necessarily what you want to do, but what helps your mental health. Like I like talking to people. I like singing. I like dancing. I like acting. I like all the other wonderful things. Before I got sick, I had a, um, I was having dance parties in my living room after I was done work just to get the endorphins going. <laughs> like, like just by yourself. That's all awesome. well, my dogs See, are I... there. <laughs> Listen, that's good too. Um, yeah. I mean, that, you were you were like you were isolated for months right like like how how long yeah. was it uh i was home from november 2020 and i think the next time i was actually able to leave my house was at the end of march 2021 wow and and that's including your your partner right or was your partner there no, he was there. He he only st- we stayed separated from each other in the house for almost I think it was about ten months. Like wow. we didn't sleep in the same bed for so a lucky. year. <laughs> what is that noise? That was a weird noise. Okay, I don't know what that was, but uh, I can hear small children in the background. Yeah, I can hear that too. That might be my house. Oh, is it? <laughs> Welcome, Jen. Thank you for uh, look at look at that library behind you. Is there any? Is there any, so, okay? First, first of all, um, thank you for coming. I know I know that you weren't sure if you wanted to come or not, but I appreciate you coming. This is one of these topics where you don't necessarily have to have personal experience with it, but we all know people that have have suffered from this. Why is it, why do you think it's so hard to talk about for a lot of people? I think that people can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you fine. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Sorry about my children. I have twins. So there's always just noise and oh, chaos noise. on the other side of the door. So <laughs> just be glad it's you're not the people who are paying me for yoga classes because oh. they are very understanding about it too. <laughs> no, no problem. Um, I think what it is, is that people don't want to be really vulnerable about it because I hear people who have had, you know, more serious struggles than me, like hearing Christy talk about her experience I feel super soft and I feel like, oh, well, what are you crying about? Crybag? Like, (laughs) 
You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, well, I haven't suffered as much as other people. So my suffering doesn't matter. You know, it's that sort of thing. So people don't want to talk about it. But it's a thing that keeps coming up in my life over and over again with so many different people that I interact with is that we're so quick to engage with the positive emotions in life. Nobody ever wants to talk about anything that's bad or sad or uncomfortable or like the negative emotions. I grew up in a Scottish family, um, so we don't have like bad feelings. We have drinks. Like that's just who we are <laughs> as people. You're not allowed to be unhappy because why should you be unhappy? Like, look at this life you have, because compared to like where I grew up, compared to where my parents grew up, I live in Shangri-La compared to where they grew up. Right. Yeah. So I shouldn't have any problems and I shouldn't be sad. So I think it's about not feeling valid. It's not about validation. It's about not feeling like your suffering is valid in this grand scheme of like this horrible situation we've been through as a planet, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's also something that, that makes sense. And there's also something to be said for, and I've been in this situation. I've been in this situation probably this year where you can just feel the discomfort of the person that you're trying to talk to about your shit. And maybe that's just you shouldn't pick certain people to talk to about about this stuff, and that's fine. But there um, is, yeah. Go ahead, George. Well, I also think that uh, one of the things that is behind that is like there's this part where you know, you know, when you meet someone and instantly you're like, I love that person. Oh my god! Like, where's this person been all my life? Oh my god! And and then there's the, the opposite of that where you meet someone you're like, fuck that guy. Right. And you have these Those ones often reactions. become friends. Those that ladder oh. pile. I have so many times I have had bad introductions with somebody and then became really amazing friends with them. I, I don't want to know, know why. why I think that is. It's sure. it, it has to do with the mirror effect. The things that you despise about yourself, you most easily can identify with other people. So if you've had, say, for instance, issues with, I don't know, fidelity or something like that, well, the people that you hate the most are the infidels. Uh, the people who you take an issue with lying, you know, as maybe a youngster, that was my issue. I had daddy issues. My parents were divorced at six months old. So when I was in grade three, I was a compulsive liar, you know? So now as an adult, I take my integrity super fucking seriously. And when people start lying to me, I go, oh, I don't like that. And I get a visceral response to it because it, it, it speaks to my shadow. And, and, and so when you start to describe your mental health, you know, situation to someone and you can see them like withdrawing, it's because probably you're holding a mirror up to them and they're like, I don't want to deal with my own shit right now. I really don't see ya. And, and, yeah. and, and they're not ready for it, you know, and it's, it's a bit like outing someone, in, you know, in front of the high school gym. So Steve, you're gay. How's that going for you? Oh, what? Ah, right. Like that's not going to happen very well. And so that's where you, I think we get this kind of response when people want to be vulnerable and the other person just wants to walk away from it instantly. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I don't, I, I used to like to counsel other people, you know, like I was the guy that liked to dispense advice that I couldn't take <laughs> myself. And now I don't even want to do that. Like I honestly, like I, I, I joke with people, I share things with people, but like I, there are, there are a very select few people that I will like be like, I am in a world of pain right now. <laughs> There's not many people that, that I can do that with. And, um, and a lot of times I, I don't want to with certain people, right. Because of what you just said, but also because I don't want to pile my shit on other people. Like I really don't, you know, what's really funny is that a lot of times people think 
that I'll just use myself as the example because I don't want to speak for anyone else. But I, you can tell that that people think like, oh, here we go. He's going to like make it all about himself and just want to talk about his own shit. And really, like, it's it's not really something that is like eating me up where I need to talk about myself in that, especially in that context. Um, but that wavers, right? So I don't. So you you kind of don't even know how to approach it because some days you feel like I kind of do. And then you have a person who's receptive to it and you're like, okay, this person's receptive. That's great. And then a week later to that same person, you're probably just like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk about this at all. And it's, it's, it's difficult because if you don't have a counselor and even if you do, sometimes you want to talk to someone that knows you inside out and not someone that can take the surface and, and, and try to diagnose you. Um, I don't know. Uh, um, Christy, when you, uh, and this might be too personal, so you don't have to answer it, but when you were, when you were isolated for all the, all that time, um, were you like, were you talking to anybody? Like, was there someone that you could, you could speak with or did you want to, did you need to, like, was it, what did it get to that point? Uh, No, I, I didn't. And that's probably what threw me deeper into like this scary point of depression, not being able to be who you are. Um, it, and it wasn't until I started being seen by specialists that, that I realized <clears throat> why, why, why am I not talking to anybody? Usually I have no problems talking to someone. And then it kind of hit me like, oh, <laughs> I'm the one who listens to everybody's problem because I'm usually happy. <laughs> and when they, uh, diagnosed me as, as, um, as, uh, uh, suicidal and referred me to a psychiatrist, and then I got denied. My referral got denied because the psychiatrists were too busy. Then it was a punch in the gut. And then I realized wow. that, okay, I'm the only person who's going to be able to help myself. So then I actually started to reach out to friends, talking more to family. But the biggest struggle was that no one understood what I was going through. Because you get a lot of, oh, yeah, no, I'm tired too. I'm like, it's not the same thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So then I started doing some of my old hobbies that I was able to obviously not dancing I only just started singing again and dancing again like a month ago so I had to find new outlets like watching comedy things and listening to podcasts <laughs> yeah. and talking a little bit more obviously yeah that's that's a good point though the, the, you know especially I mean I'm sorry that that happened to you like I mean there, there was a sh- real shortage of mental health care during um, COVID. Uh, a lot of people that I know couldn't get counseling. They couldn't get psychiatrists. They couldn't get medication. A lot of people that I know, uh, or they, at least they could get prescribed medication that they had before COVID. And, and it, I knew two people where they were, they were prescribed antidepressants and then, um, and they were both weaning off and about to go on another one and COVID hit. And then they couldn't get an appointment for six months. So they didn't have, anything to help him. I, I see George's eyes dart because you, you, you're one of those, you don't really believe, like, I mean, I guess it's different for everybody. Right. But like, I remember telling you once I called you and I was like, I was like, yeah, oh, fuck. My doctor's going to put me on this uh, medication for my ADHD. And you were like, why the fuck would you take it? <laughs> I was like, Oh, <laughs> I mean, if, if, if I may, I first, uh, Christy, good on you. I mean, I'm, I, I commend you for, playing your own hand, you know, I think that, uh, it doesn't, I'm not, I'm not about to say that, that 
psychiatry doesn't have a place uh, or that or that pharmacological uh, answers aren't absolutely required for some people. They most certainly are. Lithium has saved a lot of people. Um, however, we're in a we're in a society, not just you know North American society, but particularly North American society, where we're always looking for uh, appealing to a higher authority and looking for pills to take answers when or as our as our answer. And and, and again, I, I conditioned my response by saying that there are certainly some who it, that is absolutely the only answer. Uh, but for many, uh, it, it is still a, a, an issue of the problem is created in your mind, in your ego, and it is solvable by your mind and your, and your control over your ego. And that ability to allow those negative thoughts to just float on by and not dance with them and beat yourself into an oblivion. And it's a practice. It is a fucking hard practice. And I, I, am, I am not sitting in this podcast today to tell you that I have mastered it. Fuck no. But two or three years ago, when I started to lean into consciousness, as I was indicating by that, you know, that little vignette I was sharing about when I first listened to this Russell Brand uh, uh, Eckhart Tolle podcast, and I sat there and I cry. I, I was crying and giggling at the same time because it felt like the shit that this dude was saying was the first time in my life that anything made any fucking sense at all. And I put that to practice and instantly started to fall into a practice of mindfulness. And, a, and mindfulness for me, and I, maybe you all, uh, others will disagree, but mindfulness for me is, is about shortening the rope of understanding when you're losing your control, like when you're losing the battle to your ego, where the narratives that are circling in your head are actually winning, where the where the where the the thought that could have floated on by, you know, because your brain will never stop creating these thoughts. You decided to hold on to that balloon and play with it. And as you played with it, you started to feel that metaphysical feeling of the stress and the anxiety and all the other things but through a practice of meditation and conscious behavior and awareness of how nasty your ego can be to you, you can start to let go of that and shorten that rope more and more and more. And as a result, you can find yourself less in need of other people to solve your problems or pharmacologicals to solve, solve your problems. But again, I say that's clearly saying that there are certainly those who were just dealt an unfair hand right from go and they need that to achieve chemical balance fair enough it isn't it isn't an answer for everybody but for many of us we're just we're so like squirrel squirrel squirrels you know we we spend little time with ourselves <laughs> jen go ahead because you're laughing <laughs> i am laughing i have a real issue with chaos brain and i always joke now and it's it's since the pandemic where like I don't know. I have two little kids. My husband was working from home. I was made unemployed and dealing with homeschool for the first year and a half and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I was the minister of fun. That was my job. I was the the happy face on things. And Christy, I completely identify with what you're saying about being an extrovert because 
I had to do the things to keep my family happy and engaged so that they were happy and engaged. And that kind of, you know, scratched my extrovert itch and we were doing things and we were making instruments and we were painting rainbows on the glass and stuff. And after about a year of being the Minister of Fun, there was just nothing kind of left in there, you know, like I I kept saying, I feel like somebody blew my pilot light out, you know? Um, And when you say that things are a practice, because I do, I get chaos brain. So I say now that like, I don't like fun because when I have a good time now, then my brain's like, yeah, more. And then I'm like, no, no, no. Today we go drop the kids off at the school bus and we're going to do the laundry and some grocery shopping and like day-to-day mundane stuff. And then my brain wants to make chaos i'm like let's get day drunk and the idea of having to sit with that right of like okay this is what's happening it's just a thought it's not an action yet and it can be intimidating when people say it's a practice i used to teach yoga so i used to be like okay we say it's a practice but really it just takes practice and it's just like anything else in your brain you're building connections you're building neuro pathways you're you're creating a new way of thinking people like to joke around that like jen's always happy jen's ruthlessly positive i'm the most supportive friend that you have but we didn't get here easy you know you have to really choose which pathways in your brain you're you're building and you're supporting and which ones you're starving because I go to dark places. I went to all the dark places. I was coping by like watching um, like Oz on my phone with like one um, headphone butt in while I was home with my children during the pandemic. My brain was just like violence and blood and, you know, like <laughs> things like that. And then I started having nightmares and I couldn't sleep. And, you know, I needed something lighter to occupy my mind. But what? And that I don't like new things because I have anxiety. So I watch like the same old things over and over again. So you have to learn how to be happy, if that makes sense. Like you have to teach your brain how to be happy and how to engage with positive things. And you don't have to engage with negativity. When I have chaos brain now, I do things like I cook, like it's soup making day or it's bread making day or whatever, because it's a way that I can take that kind of anxious, like let's do something and make something positive out of it. So some people clean, I find cleaning really helpful with anxiety, sort of chaos stuff when I'm I'm really looking for it. I love what we're talking about, about ego too, because I did a lot of the sort of navel gazing self-study when I was a yoga teacher. And they keep telling you like, your authentic self, your authentic self, your soul, all this sort of stuff. And I was like, yeah, but what if my authentic self is a bitch? I'm pretty sure automatic, <laughs> you know, like sarcastic, yeah. like sarcastic, and I'm super hypercritical of everybody and everything. But it's also because I'm that way with myself, because that's kind of how I was raised, you know, like it's, it's just never enough. There's always a goal. There's always a better. What are you going to do better next time? How can it be better all the time? And that mm-hmm. is a difficult way to live. So the best piece of advice anybody ever gave me, and it was the guy who did my yoga teacher training, he was brilliant. But he's like, you're a type A person. And I was like, yes, I had a binder, like I was ready. And he said, but could you take an A minus and give yourself a little peace? Oh. Just crying, just snot crying all over myself as soon as he said it. You know, when like somebody really sees you, you know, like they really can see who you are. And it's like, oh, shit. And those little yoga wisdom, those little bumper sticker wisdom things, it's so annoying because once you hear them, you'll never unhear them. So the best one, anybody who's doing Buddhism practice or you're building positive pathways in your brain, my favorite one, and it's still on my fridge from when my kids were babies, is that if your compassion does not include yourself, it is incomplete. 
So it doesn't matter. That's the Buddha. That's not like funky new age stuff. That's old school. But if you, it doesn't matter how positive you are. It doesn't matter how energetic you are, how much you bring to the table, how good you are to everybody else in the whole wide world. If you still kick your own ass as like a pastime, you're never going to be happy. Oh. And it's a really hard thing to Fuck. do. It's the hardest thing to do. <laughs> Ta-da. I, yeah. No, I still do. I do that. I do that. Like I catch myself like, I have a weird routine. Like when I, when I'm, um, I get out of the shower and I start drying off and stuff and I'm like, you know, whatever. All of a sudden I, I'm, I'm, I catch myself saying like, you're so fucking stupid. You're so fucking dumb. What the fuck are you doing? Like, and I'm literally saying it out loud sometimes. And I'm just like, and I still do that to this day. Like not every day, but like sometimes. And I, and, and I laugh at it now. Cause I'm like, why am I doing this? Like what? Just Where why? Why is it a ruthless from? voice? When I drink water in the morning, I'm like, drink some water, you dehydrated bitch. Like, yeah, that's how I talk to myself. I would never talk to anybody else that way. And then my children oh, come out of their bedroom and I'm like, good morning, my precious blueberries. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. so kind to everybody else. But like, already I'm swearing at myself in the kitchen, you know, like. Yeah. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. No, exactly. My medication just uh, sat on my lap and then ran away. You know, like that, that, She's you know, so kid. Yeah, she is cute. Um, but kids are like kids are funny like that because they they're the source of so much agony, right? But they're also, you know, that that Simpsons uh, quote um, to alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. That's really kids, right? Like, really, because my biggest stressors are like if she doesn't eat, I am just like fucking livid. Like I am just like. Ang- Cause she's 32 pounds and she's six years old, right? Like she, she has an issue with, with size and weight and nutrition. And, um, you know, and, and so, but then when she does eat, I'm just like the happiest man in the world. Right. Like I, I have all these external reasons to be happy and angry. And I think what you guys are kind of saying is that often it's really just internal. Like it's, it's, it's how I'm reacting to these situations and, and it's funny because I stopped drinking and I almost started drinking again during um, like just in the past, like two months. I, I I wanted to so badly just to get rid of the anxiety because I knew that it would work, you know, because it did before. I didn't really re- I didn't realize I had anxiety until I stopped drinking. And then I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why do I want to murder every single person right now? <laughs> like everybody. And it was because I didn't have any like, you know, because I did. I was so used to like you know, what do you call that? Um, self-medicating or, or, or cushioning my pain with something until I didn't even realize that it was there. And, and when uh, I hit middle age, I started to realize that you can medicate your pain with anything. 
Like I know so yeah. many people who do it with things like yoga and fitness and things like that too, where it becomes like, because it's so related to like um, brain chemistry, just like alcohol, just like drugs, just like everything else, anything that gives you that little hit of endorphins or anything like that. Like they are at the gym at 5.30 in the morning because that's the only time they can do it. And I'm like, well, you know, you can take a break. You were sick. You're getting over COVID or whatever. And they're like, no, I have to go. It's like compulsive. So there's nothing that you can't turn into heroin if you're trying to medicate pain. Right. doesn't matter what it is. Well, Adderall now. Now I, I stopped doing Adderall because that was my prescription. And I was like, oh, it's uh, it's the eighth day of the month and I'm out of Adderall. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, yeah, I know. It's really good. Right? But, but like, anyways, um, my hairdresser's here now. Leanne Schaefer. How you doing? Hi, Leanne. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Who are you? Uh, you know, we're all just sharing stuff, right? What are you saying? I, I missed it all. I just finished work. But I got an email oh. from my mom. Oh. And I'm probably going to cry. Oh. So, well, let's put the camera on you really tight then. No, no, no. No, no. Oh. Sorry. So I got an email. He said, this is great news. Check your email, please. So they got all the cancer. Oh. And the margins are clear. She has five weeks of radiation, but no chemo. And the doctor thinks it's good. And I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack because it's been like fucking awful. But I'm like, yay. Yeah. Jesus. Well, that's hey. good news. That's great yeah. news. Well done. Look, there's happy stuff happening on this podcast. I was really afraid that it was just going to be like darkness. But then, you know, but you guys are all these beacons of light. And I'm just sitting here going, I'm just going to let you guys talk. I don't have anything. I don't know what to add to the to the positivity. Yeah, but ahead, what go. I said about how you can turn anything into heroin, you can yeah. do it with laughter too. Because yeah. laughter, all of the people that I know, Leanne, that's fantastic news. I'm so happy to hear that. Oh. So that's amazing. Um, but you can, everybody that I know who's been through big T trauma, little T trauma, whatever is dealing with, you know, mentals of some kind. Um, they're all the most hilarious people I know. They find a way yeah. to make things funny, right? And well, we can well. laugh in the moment, even when things are shit, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. What'd you say, Leanne? Sorry. I said just smoke pot and be rude. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I think all of us do that. I'm pretty yeah. sure. George, are you still smoking pot, buddy? Um well, I mean, cannabis and I are longtime lovers, but we <laughs> uh <clears throat> we had a fight uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, you know, I just haven't been able to put down the narrative at this point. Uh she was wrong. I was right. And so, you know, whatever, <laughs> but I'm working on my forgiveness, James. And okay, uh, good, good. Forgive everyone right away in the moment. Every time. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's like, uh, I feel like the dehydrated bitch, uh, at times too. So I, I know, I know where you come <laughs> from on that. Jim. The, I, I want to, I want to enter something into the discussion here, which okay. I think seems at this point to be a bit, Void, James. I know you are uh, an uh, an open atheist. You identify as an atheist, and I I don't I don't add the lisp when I say it. But go ahead. The lisp. Yeah, an atheist. You say clothes because yeah. I say clothes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Clothes. The the thing about this is like, um, you know, I'm not a religious person. First of all, so I, I'd like to identify as that is not. Being can you can you do this speech without saying the word universe, or or is that going to be impossible? I saw one eleven and eleven eleven four times today. 
Yeah, I know you posted I know. it, but I was like, pretty. I, I'm not sure that I would say the word universe by any stretch, but what I was leaning okay. into is, I think, um, you know, one of the one of the big things when it comes to alleviating uh, stress or or securing a more consistent mental health, it seems to be that uh, there's proof a lot of a lot of proof that people who claim to be spiritual, not necessarily religious, but spiritual, find themselves having an easier time with connecting with a deeper meaning within themselves. And a life of meaning is a great way in order to, to, to facilitate somewhere, some sort of direction in your life. And it is people who, who feel aimless and without meaning that suffer most easily with mental health issues. So I guess the open question to the group is, would you represent yourself as being a spiritual person, if not a religious person? Spiritual. And uh, Christy. Oh, ah, sorry. No. Leanne. No, I just no. thought that was it. What did you say? Oh. I, I didn't hear you. You cut out as you were saying it. I said, see, it's the universe, James. Yes, yes, it's the universe. Of course it's Christy, sorry, what were you, was that a no? You're not spiritual or you are? I am. No, I'm not spiritual. I don't. I mean, I was raised Catholic as a bad oh, Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. I don't really. I, I Yeah, no, not really. <laughs> I have a hard time trying to figure out what it is, still what that means, though. Like, because, because. I am, I'm, there's no shortage of depth in me. Like I, I, I can look at things that are beautiful and be moved by it. I can look at, at, at certain things like the stars and like things that I've witnessed and, and whatever, and feel like I don't have an answer for that. Well, I also don't need one because I am blown away by the magnificence of it, but I never attach a meaning to it per se, because I, I think I'm maybe I'm spiritual about mystery. Like maybe, maybe it's like, I don't have an answer for something and I like that, well, you know, isn't that part of it though? I mean, isn't that what spiritualism is, is that it is, there's a mysticism to it that you don't need to understand. And, you know, I don't, I'm not going to forgive me at all for uh, uh, trying to convince you all that you probably are spiritual at some level. Like, for example, Christy, do you believe that you know, there is an understanding between you and animals that can't speak of what is good and bad, you know, like the difference, how a dog knows, you know, who yeah. you are. And, and, if and if so my on. dog doesn't like you, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah. But isn't that, there is. like, there's the woo. That's the spiritual woo. Yeah. <laughs> like, right? like I'm holding up my Tibetan bowl, like meditation bowl, my beads. I was raised an atheist. So there was something sort of punk rock to me about all the stuff to do with religion as I have a rosary in this bowl. I have many little trinkets and bits and pieces. I wear a, a St. Sebastian around my neck. Oh, oh Leanne's yeah. doing it too. Yeah. Oh, White sorry. girls with nose rings, right? Crystals and stuff. I think there's a lot of power in ritual, right? Ritual and talismans. It's everything. It's it's witchcraft. It's it's Catholicism with the incense and the whole dip dip and all the, the stuff. It's a physical manifestation of a belief in a greater spiritual thing. And whether you go to church or not, whether you believe in a God or many gods or no God, it doesn't really matter. 
It's what speaks to you. So I'm one of those people who see signs. I'm glad you brought up 11.11 and stuff like that. I see little things, little signposts. I have, you have a conversation with somebody and it comes up somewhere else in a completely different context in the same day for no reason or a specific word. I also have that thing above my head where people talk to me. So they come and like sit down next to me and want to chat. So I don't have that Toronto thing where nobody talks to me. I make food for my neighbors. We leave it on each other's doorsteps. We did it the whole way through COVID. It's magical. Where the fuck were you when I was living in Toronto? For God's sake, where were you? When did you live in Toronto? (laughs) I lived in Toronto Toronto from like 1997 to like 2015 or something like that. Like I was there, you know, I would lived in it, but I, I, you know, but maybe it's, uh, First of all, I, I don't know how inviting I am. Um, like I, I, I was one of those people. We talked about synchronicity before, right? Like I think you and I have talked about synchronicity a couple of times. I don't know what that is, but I know that I've experienced it, yeah, right? I know, I know that I have. I know that I've pinpointed certain times in my life where if I turn just this much this way instead of that much that way, I probably wouldn't have kids right now. Seriously, or at least not the ones that I have. I love that, but that seems like ultra scientific to me to the point where I, I can't explain it. It's like chaos math. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't feel like spiritualism. It feels like more scientific than, than, than it does at spiritual at all. And what um, makes me worried is it's one of the criteria on uh, like one of the seven types of OCD. I have like compulsive tendencies. I'm not diagnosed with anything like that. Just anxiety and depression for me. But um, one of them is, is hello. <laughs> one of them is um, ma- like magical thinking, like thinking, thinking that you're seeing things as confirmation when you're not actually. So that's one mm-hmm. thing that always sort of checks my head. And I'm like, okay, is it is it actually the universe or is it a coincidence? Like things like that. But eventually the coincidences pile up so much that you're like, wow, that's, that's a really big pile of coincidence, you know, that it, it, yeah. So I don't yeah. like to talk about it because it makes me sound crazy. Um, but it's uh, that sort of vulnerability thing of, I don't want to burden people with my like, Jen is magical and sees woo, you know, like I don't really want to let that out too much in front of people who don't know me too well. But... Sometimes it finds you, right? Like I'm, I'm going to tell a quick story. Then I'm going to let you guys, um, you know, talk uh, as much as you want. Cause I, I, I love listening to you talk, but I just, there's certain things that I don't know how to explain and I don't know if I want to. So I had a really um, bad experience with a relative who um, uh, who basically slept with my fiance. Right, this is years and years and years ago. And yeah, and so, but here's the weird thing. So, so when I was 18, I visited this relative in a place called Bella Coola, British Columbia, and we connected. He was like my he was my father's brother. We totally connected to the point where I was like, I wonder if he and my mom had an affair, and I'm really his kid, right? Like it, it was a good connection. And then, like, it was 10 years later, um, him and my fiance had an affair and this and that. And then a week, like, so that was devastating, right? And then, I, like, less than a year later, I moved to a, a place in Saskatchewan. So this is in Bella Coola where I met him. It was in Toronto where the thing happened. And then I moved to Saskatchewan. I, I went to go be a reporter. I literally moved there because I was watching. Remember that CBC did The Greatest Canadian? Who's The Greatest Canadian? And it was, like, uh, the father of our health care. What's his name? Tommy Tommy Douglas. So I looked up, I Googled Tommy Douglas and I found out that he was from a place called Weyburn, Saskatchewan. So then I looked up Weyburn, Saskatchewan, saw they needed a reporter, applied for the job, moved there before I got it. And then, and then was there and got the job when I was there. And I only did it because Tommy Douglas was from there. That's the reason why I went there. I got this apartment 
and I moved in and this lady and we, her and I were talking and she, she's like, uh, we, she's like, Oh, my, my sister owns a, a, a little restaurant in Bella Coola, British Columbia. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, and it's this restaurant. And it was the restaurant that me and my uncle ate at um, the last time I had seen him. And then I'm living in her, the, the sister's apartment. And so, so I look at that and I'm just like, this is way too coincidental. Like we're talking to three provinces and we're talking like, like just like a weird kind of situation. Bella Coola's got like a thousand people. Weyburn has like 2000 people. And I look at a situation like that and I'm, and then I stop myself and I'm like, am I creating a coincidence or is this something that is meaningful? And I don't know. And I, maybe that's the agnostic or the atheist in me where I, I don't know what is meaningful and what isn't, you know? Well, it sounds like you do know that that was meaningful, else you would not have brought it up as a story. And or more, more importantly, it's meaningful to you. Right? It, it might not be meaningful to, to anybody else, but it's meaningful to you and you saw it and you noticed it. So that's, you know, it feels personal when it happens. Yeah. Uh, my roommate won a trip on 97.7 Hits FM to Daytona Beach, Florida when I was in my first year at university. I'd been single for six months by choice. I was like, no, I'm I'm not in a good place. I'm not a good girlfriend right now. <laughs> and uh, I met my partner. He was there from Queens, same hotel, and told him to fuck off in the hotel lobby. And that was 22 years ago. <laughs> it's totally random right like so random like we never should have met it like but we did there in that place right place right time so many things so many of those little star wars moments where like there's no life forms aboard like that one moment if it hadn't been that way your life would be completely different you know yeah i appreciate the things that you say jen that's fucking awesome. thank you it's nice to meet you george christy and leanne it's so nice to like kind of chat and be face to face actually christy how are you feeling yeah how are you? Um, I've kind of plateaued. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't had it. I haven't had any improvements in probably about six months. Oh, I'm so sorry. But I'm allowed. To, I'm allowed to start reconditioning because they told me my heart will not explode. I can't exercise. My heart will not give out. <laughs> oh my God, that was like the weirdest story I've ever heard, and it's I will never ever forget. Ever. You have to yeah. tell the story. I swear. Oh, which which one? Which one? Um, the sex one. Oh, <laughs> here we go. There you okay. go. Of course, we're gonna zoom right in now. No, okay. this is right. a podcast. Okay. Hello. Can you stand up, please? No, it's kidding. Yeah, oh sure. my god. No, <laughs> no I uh, because I mean, co. I I got COVID really bad. It affected my blood, my brain, my heart, my lungs, my joints. Like it just totally destroyed my body. And um, I finally got the okay to have sex again. And it had probably been, uh, oh God, at that point, I think it was probably like eight months since I, since my partner and I had sex. And so we finally tried it. I, he didn't want to. He was so scared of hurting me. He didn't want to. So I had to convince him. I'm like, doctor said, we're good to go. Let's do this. It's been long enough. And so we, we finally did it. And <laughs> And he thought he killed me. He wanted to call 911 because I couldn't breathe. <laughs> he wanted to stop. I'm like, no, keep going, keep going, keep going. <laughs> Not until you're done. And yeah, so yeah, when we were done, like I was, I was. Chrissy isn't a quitter. Chrissy's not a quitter. No, I'm like, if I'm going to die now, it's fine. I'm okay. <laughs> Plus, he would have felt like a king. Like he would have been sad, but Jesus, you know. 
Well, that was my ending thing to him. I'm like, if you could have seen, it would be okay if you fucked me to death. Honestly. That's what it was. You fucked me to death. I have never Every been- man wants in a woman. Seriously. Well done. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That, that's a good... <laughs> I I had to reconvince him after that, that it was okay to do it again. And it took me like another few months. Like, seriously, we can do this again. I won't die. I I crossed my heart. (laughs) I thought it it was going to be like, and then my daughter thought I was being killed in the other room. No, no, actual death. death. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's. That would have made a great headstone though. Right. Like, My heart rate was 148. Oh, that's right too. Yeah. Jesus. Is that good? Is that, is that a good story? Is that high? Is that, I, I don't know. Yeah. For. All right. Well, I don't know how anyone's going to top that. Like. No. Nope. I got <laughs> nothing. I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm thinking of doing a show like this, like I don't know, like once a month or something like that. You know what I mean? Just. And it's not a confessional. It's not. It doesn't have to be like that or anything. But just having this conversation doesn't everyone kind of feel pretty good right now? You know, like. And then looking at Stella with that, dog, like, oh my god, her dog is the greatest, by the way. Man, your dog's the dog awesome. is a shit show, but I love her. <laughs> yeah, she's a shit show. But really, though, like, like, um, I feel better just having a conversation, and it didn't even have to be about anything deep necessarily. It was just one of those conversations where. Just by having it, just by having it, you feel better. Um, yeah, man. I, I do think we talked about some deep subject matter in here. You know, like uh, how people deal with their mental health is deeply personal, you know, and uh, there's no if, ands, or buts about that, as far as I can tell. Um, I think spirituality is also something that is deeply personal. And uh, and certainly talking about Christy getting fucked to death is also deeply personal. I, yes. I, I don't I don't know that just yes. to me that I feel like I know her already. Like I feel like I feel like we could do an entire episode just on Christy getting fucked to death, right? Like it would just Christy, be you're an those... inspiration to us all. Thank you. It's true. It's true. <laughs> the true it's an important survivor. part of life. <laughs> true COVID survivor. I love it. True COVID survivor. You need that tattooed on your ass. Wow. Yes. It would be blurry because of the what are they, it gives a whole new meaning to being intubated. <laughs> Sorry. Jesus. Sorry. Wow. Sorry. Oh my god. This took a turn. This took a turn. Just whatever you do, don't get on the breathing machine, okay? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On that note, um, I think someone's probably waiting. I don't know if there's another show tonight. I just got hit with like five texts. So I don't know if that means that there's a show that's waiting to start. Um, but in any event, I think probably this, it's a good way to, <laughs> it's a good time to end it. Um, listen, um, Christy, do you want to tell more about that story before we go or is, are you good? Is, is that, is that? Well, are you getting that this show can go on for another 10 minutes, James? It probably could. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm just saying. Just, it was like I don't want to kick the. I mean, I got nothing to do right now. So. I don't want to kick the joke to death. Um, no, but listen, <laughs> like, if there was, if there, uh, would you, like, I, maybe you guys can tell me in the chat. Um, b- like, 30% of the chat is on the screen right now, usually. But um, the, the, should we do a show like this, like, once a month? Like, because I feel like, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, def- like, have a deflated sort of sense, like, oh, he's doing the mental health show again. But if it can be conversational like this, I, I would, I would do it once a month because, it is really something that 
I think would be therapeutic for myself, um, for one thing, but for more importantly for other people, because no one really talks about the thing that we all always say we need to talk about this more, but then we never do, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm down. Whatever you want, buddy. This this was right in my bailiwick of things that I enjoy talking about. And um, I, plus, I, I will I, I will say though, it wasn't always that way, uh, and and it wasn't because I had shame. Uh, for the topic, or even discomfort about how someone else might. It was just like, I, I think some of us come from that place of just, there's shit you just don't fucking talk about. Especially you know? with men. Especially yeah. with men. Like, because my brother, um, he probably can hear me because he's on vacation, but um, antidepressants make him impotent, so he doesn't like to take so this is some conversation that we have had multiple times for multiple years. Him and I talk about it. And we finally got him on a medication because he has to. And that's mm. the end of the way it is. Yeah. yeah, that is that is certainly one of the tough parts as well. Uh, I I mean, again, I, as, as, as I have said earlier, my family has suffered from lots and lots of mental health. And I have a brother that is in the same boat. Uh, but you know, it is one of those things that, you know, it's a, he, he, like, as I was saying, he, there are some that definitely need pharmacological assistance and, you know, my brother was, is definitely one of those people. And, and eventually, you know, he kind of gave up and I was like, and it was just sort of like a question of perhaps age too, you know, like when you're, when you're 22, uh, all you want to do is you know, tap anything that moves kind of thing. But when you're 48, you know, going on 65 kind of thing, you, it's less and less relevant, uh, you know, because, you know, you're starting to find a larger cohort where it also doesn't work for them too. <laughs> so, you know, you, you feel you feel a little bit more accepted about that. And I'm sure that's a bit different though for women because of just that whole like, you know, when you're in your prime versus when we're in our prime and how oh, that's fuck this bit- prime shit. I feel the same way I didn't do now as when I did when I was like 15, 18, 25, 36. I, I just, I use fucking Viagra recreationally for Christ's sakes. Like, I don't know what it's like to like be in that. You know what? Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> maybe it was a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but like, no, no, but what, what it, I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Like, you know, I, I think, I think I, I, I'm starting to like, this is like the beginning for for me to to feel um sober entirely and and trying to figure out how to navigate that while still having fun um is hard for a guy who's like who's basically an addict right like it's it's not easy um so george when i when you when i hear you talk about your brother like i mean i met your brother you know he's he's definitely a different kind of dude but like you know um you know, I don't even know what, what what my point is really here, except the the idea that um that that pharmacological solution being good for him, I think it makes a lot of sense. I met him, I I think it totally makes sense. Um, I like that we're talking about how it may not be for everybody though, because I I think I'm certainly one of these people where I have to learn how to just not take anything, right? Like, and I think what's most important too, because I tried to get on anti anxiety and depression medication this spring because it was like the winter of my discontent. It was like the most horrible winter since I was like a teenager for like being depressed. Like I was mm. just flatlined, nothing. I was dead. And uh, the doctor was like, okay, but she was like, let's also do a blood panel. So you need to 
look at your your mental health as part of your overall mental uh, like wellness, right? Because there were yeah. so many things that I was incredibly deficient in. And as soon as I started taking really high dose, like just vitamins, like vitamin D, you're supposed to take like, what, 400 units of vitamin D a day. She has me on 3000 units because as you can see, I'm the whitest woman in the world. So like vitamin D is a problem for me, right? Christy feels me. You take 10,000. That's awesome. Because COVID will deplete all of your stores of everything, right? I've heard that from a lot of people. And we had COVID as a family in February as well. And that's when things really tanked with the anxiety and stuff too, because it does, it affects your brain. But I'm on really high dose B12. I'm on really high dose omega-369 and stuff like that. So I had a really adverse reaction to the first anti-anxiety medication we took. Like I tried and I was like, okay, let's, let's wait a bit and see what happens. But as soon as the vitamins started and I started to feel better, like I could start to see the sunshine again, you know, it was such a big deal. So like medication for mental health, not medicating for mental health, that's up to you. That's your choice and, and what your relationship is to biochemistry and all of that kind of stuff too. But go to the doctor. If you hate your doctor, go find a new doctor. I know it's not easy for like, I live in Toronto, so it's easy to be like, oh, go find a new doctor because there's doctors everywhere. But really my doctor still has priority. a horse. My family doctor in my little town was like, you know, he's like a thousand years old. He still gives out lollipops and shit. Like you know, that means the possibility me. of ketamine, though. Like that's where my chaos brain goes. I'm like, oh, if he has an animal, there's probably good drugs in his barn. You know, like like that's, that's where, where my brain goes go. too. I haven't that's done drugs in like 20 years. Like I don't do drugs, drugs. Like Same. that's not a thing that Same. I do, right? So, yeah. but your overall health means sleep, means water, means vitamins, means food, means taking care of so many. Oh my God, things. sleep. You well, you're not kidding about sleep. Like I I stopped taking um. Like when I run out of Adderall or when I stop taking it or whatever you want to call that, um, I just like, like I, I go from sleeping two to four hours a night to sleeping like eight to ten. You didn't sleep it, two to four. It's like you barely slept an hour ever for months and months and months and months. How do you know that, Lena? <laughs> <laughs> but that's my first thought when I have a really bad panic attack now. That's how I turn that frown upside down is I'm like, well, at least tonight I'm going to have that good post panic attack sleep, you know, because there's nothing like yes. that post panic attack sleep. When oh, your whole body great. is like exhausted. Nest- that is the greatest night's sleep. I could run for three days on that sleep. It's Just massive. nestling in the like after effect of the worst pain of all time is the greatest. <laughs> right? so-, so like even like hyperventilating it's like oh i'm gonna sleep good tonight it's great yeah so. i i, I want to just like draw some attention to one of the chats that i just saw pop up so michelle de corby i'm 56 it's about orgasms poops and sleep and i gotta tell you i could not agree more uh, 100% that like it, when i was growing up yeah you guys ever watched that portlandia skit where everything is beats and they're like, ah, it's, it's got to be Beats, you know? And the guy's like, oh, I just got in a car accident. I'm blood, there's blood everywhere. It's Beats, you know? And so <laughs> I grew up in a household where it was like, oh, dad, my leg hurts. And he's like, did you have a good poop today? <laughs> and, 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 and everything boiled down to if you've had a good poop today, well, then you'll probably be better. And then, you know, when I got to being about 17, he was like, so did you poop today? No. What about jerking off? Did you do that? <laughs> like, uh, uh, no, well, then you better. And, like, ah, all right, fine. <laughs> My grandma does the same thing. Have you pooped today? Are you pooping regularly? Are you giving enough sex to your man? Because he will venture out if you poop. You got to give him enough sex and poop every day. If you don't poop every day, you got to call the doctor. See, I'm Scottish. So the question was just, uh, have you been? Have you been? 
<laughs> that is oh, so much better. Am I, oh my, oh my god. Oh, you don't talk about poops and stuff like that. Like that's not a thing when you're oh, I, I want to be Scottish. My whole conversation is driving me crazy. Mental illness, alcoholism, it's a whole situation. None of them have like yeah. you're having feelings. Oh, I see you're having some feelings, darling. All right. I'll be doing the pub. Yeah. All right, you have your yeah. feelings, I'll be back later. That's yeah. just how they roll. Like that's just who they are. Um yeah, but, they but have they you been was a poop. big thing? You but know, when I, I worked for a naturopath. That was the first question she used to ask everybody when she was doing consultations is what is your digestion life like? So take like, it's funny, haha, poopy poop jokes and stuff like that. But think about your whole body as like a kitchen sink, right? What good is your sink? It doesn't matter how awesome your faucet is. It doesn't matter how good the quality of the water you put in it. If the drain doesn't work, your sink is busted. So your digestive health and your intestinal health is so important. Your gut health relates to your mental health in all kinds of ways. And actually, on that yogurt. particular note, Jen, I, I, I want to also call out what you were talking about earlier about how you have to treat your health as your whole health. And and I, I first of all, I don't really like to make fun of people, but you ever see people that you just call them soy boys? They look like they're blanched. Their eyes are dark and sunk in their Gaunt. head. And not because they've been raving all night long. And it's not because it's they're, they're like, vegans. Out of their mind. It's because... <laughs> They identify first as a vegetarian and a climate saver and all this stuff. And so they've cut iron and zinc and all these other things out of their diets. And and because they're so focused on, I have to be a vegetarian, instead of realizing, actually, I need to be a lot less on meat, but I still do need meat a little bit. And, and, they, and they move into this, this is who I am, and this is what I am, and this is how I'm going to save the world and all this stuff. And then meanwhile, they're completely depleted of most of the things that they actually need to survive. And then it's this cyclical downward spiral, their physical health, their mental health, their guttural health, everything goes, well, by the way of the shitter, because they're sitting there eating beans and bread. And it's, and, and I have a, I have a 12 year old daughter and she is at that, you know, that coming of age and all of that fun stuff. And she's a vegetarian and she's not a vegetarian for climate reasons. She's a vegetarian, I think just for, you know, because she doesn't like seeing animals harmed, you know, fine, fair enough. I'll support you as well, you know, and, and all that fun stuff. I, I'm a veggie mostly. I eat mostly uh, plants. Pretend vegetarian. Uh, yep. That's um, what I do. And so, but, but what we found was like her anxiety was going through the roof. Like everything was a narrative. Ego was in the driver's seat all the time. And then we got her zinc gummies and she started eating two zinc gummies every morning for breakfast. And it was like, Holy fuck, are these like the reason gummies? What the hell has just happened here? You've become a human being over a couple candies that taste good every morning. And, and it's so true because, but, but we're fortuitous in the fact that my partner's a doctor. She's a psychiatrist of all things, actually. Oh, and so that's she, she turned, the doctor is in. Is it? That's fantastic. <laughs> really amazing. <laughs> to, to realize oh, the well, downside to that. It's actually one of the, she's, and I, and I won't identify her. She's not given me permission to do so, but she's one of the very few psychiatrists who is anti-pharmacological. Unless, of course, you're on that extreme end where you absolutely need it. But she, I will tell you, she and I both found consciousness at the same time. I found that practice of mindful behavior and so on at the same time. We started meditating at the same time. It has, it has pervasively gone through not only my home life, but now my company meditates as a company every day at 1145 for 15 minutes. And we take this very seriously because it has helped everybody. And, and I think that she's seen, and I, again, I can't really speak for, but as a professional psychiatrist where she's been, 
I think including her residency for now 12 or 14 years, she's had more rapid change in, in her patients and the, in the adult intensive care unit through just a practice of mindfulness and presence than she's had with pharmacologicals. She's got people that are in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out all on different scripts. And can you adjust this? And can you adjust that? And then she gives them a book and they read the book and they go, holy fuck, this just changed everything. I think I'm good. Thank you. And I'm sure and it's the right book and they're at the right place, right? There's this bit of uh, yogic woo. It's a time like, and place thing for sure. You've yeah. got to be ready to receive it, you know? Yeah. And, 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 they, and the and, saying is yeah. when the student is ready, the teacher appears, right? So when you're ready to receive a that. message, somebody is there to, to tell you that message, right? It's And when your ears are ready to hear it. Um, I, I My kids are vegans, so I'm going to out myself as far as that's concerned. Um, so I do take, and I work for a mostly very vegan, very animal friendly, very hippie, woke company. Uh, they make bath bombs. That's all I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, people love to be like, oh, the vegetarians, look how sick. Yay. Um, People love the vet to bug the vegans about they look so sick. And it, and it is because you do. Like I was super anemic when I was vegetarian because I wasn't paying attention to my iron and all that kind of stuff, too. Um, my kids are, aren't vegan because I'm woke. My kids have a genetic metabolic condition. So I feel you on the like one kid that won't eat and looks like the kid you don't feed because I have one of those kids at my house, too. And she has a twin brother who's built like me, like a brick bean oven. And they eat the same food. They get served the same food every day, but they look like night and day. It looks like I only feed one kid. So they're vegan. Um, not because I'm woke, but because they have a genetic metabolic condition called phenylketonuria. Uh, it's PKU. It's super rare. Um, so the part of the pandemic and the stress for me was if we ran out of stuff. It wasn't just a question of, can I go to the grocery store to get it? We have specialty foods at sick kids, which has all of their low protein stuff. So basically the way like diabetics can't process sugar. My kids can't process, process protein, specifically an amino acid in the protein called phenylalanine. So if they eat a ton of protein, it builds up in their brain and causes brain damage. Man. And they were diagnosed at seven days old. Yes. So they are on a very limited protein allowance. They are allowed 14 grams of protein from food. They drink a metabolic shake, which has phenylalanine already converted to tyrosine. When you become a PKU fam part of the PKU family at SickKids, you get like a minor in genetic metabolics and how to explain it to strangers. Um, but that was the stress was that now we can't get into the hospital because sick kids was locked down so tightly. So you had, you think health screenings to get into a regular hospital was difficult? Try to get into sick kids, not even to get into the hospital part, just to get into like the retail section so we can go pick up our shit. So now with the um, like infant formula situation, it's starting to affect the genetic metabolic community. So we can't get our mixes and powders for our little milkshake that we drink every day. Stressful. <laughs> And people are like, oh, my God, these kids, all they do is eat and, and all this stuff during the pandemic. And I'm dealing with that because they're they were five at the start of it and they're eight now. Um, but it's like, OK, don't eat too much of anything, because if we can't get it like, yeah, we can do gluten free stuff and they can do vegan cheese and I can kind of cobble together meals. But no, for no more than a couple of days before we need stuff. So, it's, you know, I've it's heard of a lot of communities. How the trickle down happens. I've heard of I've a lot of communities, Jen, but the genetic metabolic community. I mean, we don't do enough protecting that community. I don't think, right? Like this is—it's a one in one hundred thousand shot PKU. That is a small so out community. Hundred out of a hundred thousand kids born, one of them will have PKU. Mine were wow. born at the same time, and they both have yeah. it. So when I went back to see my OB like a couple days after they were born, when they'd just been diagnosed, she turned around and she was like, 
both of them have it? Because it's so rare. It was like unheard of. Even among siblings, it's only like a one in four. Are they identical twins? No, boy and girl. So fraternal. Okay. Again, a genetic thing that I have all the the earning. I was so sarcastic when they were first born, when people would ask me questions about them. They'd be like, are they twins? And I'd be like, no, I just found one in the parking lot. (laughs) Everybody wants to talk to you at the grocery store. You have infant twins and everybody wants to ask you a million questions. And I had postpartum depression and no fucking time for any of that. Yeah. Amen. I, I hate it when people do that shit. Like honestly. It's like, a lot. My husband's lane. the worst. He'd be like, no, they're clones. Like Dolly, the sheep, you know? To like little old ladies. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, dude. Like some people are really bad at like talking to other people's kids. I had a guy once that he came, he walked up to I was pushing my daughter in a stroller and he puts his hand into the stroller to touch my daughter, which is bad enough, without asking her anything. And then he but he's got a cigar in that hand. So I pulled the <laughs> stroller back. And he's like, and he's kind of like, what? What the fuck? You know, like that guy. And then he puts his, goes to put his fucking big fat mitt in again. And I smack the cigar out of his hand and it just fucking helicopters away. And he's just like, and then there were, I was, I happened to be in front of a school. And then all I hear is from all these parents. And I'm just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, <laughs> thanks. Well, and this guy was, like, yeah. So everybody wants to that. touch the twins because they're lucky in a lot of Asian communities, right? Uh, it's like very lucky and very fortuitous. So everybody wanted to touch their heads, but then tell me that they should have hats on. My kids were born in July. They're my kids. They're sweaty. Like we're all just hell pigs. Like we're just sweaty all the time. My kids are the kids running around with no jackets on. Like those are my kids. They're always too hot. And I stand there with their jackets. So everybody knows I'm a good mom. They just won't wear them. Right. Yeah. Um, but also um, they want to ask me all the time. Oh, your kids are so big and healthy because they're giants. My son's wearing clothes for 12 year olds now and they're like oh what do you feed them is it beef i'm like no beef no milk they don't eat any animal products right but i don't say vegan because then all my well-meaning vegan friends come at me with like the lentil recipes and they can't have that either right so Um, it's a lot when it comes to your kids man it's a lot it's i know that single people and people who don't have kids had a difficult time during the pandemic a hundred percent but being locked down in your house with your kids too i got five months of senior kindergarten and then that was it yeah. I tasted no, I freedom both, and then it was taken I, away. I had junior kindergarten grade one for, for a year uh, <laughs> homeschooled because of that. Um, guys, we have to go because my kids right now are waiting for me to put them to bed. Um, and I'm pretty sure there's a podcast waiting to start. But I got I want to I want to really, really sincerely thank all of you for 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 having this discussion. And I think I will do this. I think I'll do this on like the last, you know, last Wednesday of every month or some shit. I'll just make up something arbitrary as long as I can do it once a month. Um, you all are welcome to come back. Um, and, uh, I learned a lot today. Um, I don't think I solved any of my own problems, but I learned a lot from you. And I think that is, uh, all you can ask for. Was, um, was that supposed to be what we were doing? No, solving there was problems? no supposed to. I, I did not have a case of the supposed to. I just wanted to have a talk about mental health because I don't think I, it's something that has been coming up a lot with me just in, like in my own thoughts. And talking to other people. Um, a lot of people are struggling right now. And I just wanted to have a show where people could like listen and laugh maybe and learn something possibly. And I'm glad you guys were here because I learned a lot from all of you. Um, I don't think anyone learned shit from me except maybe how to make too many jokes about Christy getting fucked to death. But other than that, I think we're all uh, we're all on the same page. <laughs> really happy that I was allowed to make another joke about and that. But <laughs> Christy, your worth is not related to how much better you're getting. Everybody I know who has who's had a long COVID mm. experience, it's like everybody wants to ask me, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Because they want to hear better. And it's really yeah. demoralizing when you're like, same. 
So like your work yeah. is not connected to how fast you're getting better. Like don't engage. I've with started that. telling people all of that there. I've started yeah. telling people I'm a sandwich when they ask me how I'm feeling. I'm a sandwich, and they don't know how to. That's my dog. That okay? Shut the fuck up, dog. Okay. That's, okay. it. That's it. The podcast is over, everybody. <laughs> no, the dog's not okay. He's got to go outside. Norman, shut up. Yeah, I gotta go. Um, thank you for joining me, everybody. Thank you for watching, everybody. We'll see you next time. I'm gonna remove everybody. Thanks, George. Thank you, Christy. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Leanne. And I'll have to rewatch because I have no idea what happened. But I know that's okay. <laughs> okay. And um, Norman. Oh my God. Can you ever hear a dog ruin a podcast like this? This is crazy. Um, I have to take uh, my dog outside, obviously, and uh, I will do that right now. Thanks again to everyone that joined and everyone that is listening still to my dog bark at the end of my podcast. We'll see you next time on Black Bolt. And I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.